0: Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, and then we will move forward to our passage out of the Gospel of Luke. 1 Kings 10, verse 1. Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a great caravan with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he had offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who is delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord, because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the Queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. Now for our New Testament reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 29 through 36. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it on a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. This is the word of God. Of God. Children,
1: you are dismissed to your classrooms. As we begin to look at our passage this morning in Luke 11, it is interesting to look at the context of what surrounds it. This passage almost seems misplaced. What does this section have to do with what goes before it? What does it have to do with what comes behind it? Before it, last week, Jesus is casting out a demon. And as John said, Jesus did what Jesus always does. He brings forth the kingdom. He can't do otherwise. But then Jesus speaks of Jonah, an Old Testament prophet. And then he speaks of the queen of the south. And as we read from 1 Kings 10, the queen of Sheba and of Solomon, the king of Israel. What does Jonah have to do with Solomon? What do two Old Testament stories have to do with Luke 11? we find Luke writing a particular message to a particular people. But as many of the gospel writers progress their stories, ultimately ending in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they continue to force the readers to ask the question, Who is Jesus? Jesus had just been accused of being Beelzebul in Luke 11. Is this who Jesus is? In Luke 9, 18, Jesus asks his disciples, Who do the crowds say that I am? This text demands us to answer the question, Who is Jesus? But before we do that, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for sustaining us and bringing us another Lord's Day where we can meet as your people before our most holy and loving God. Lord, we have nothing without you. Lord, we pray for our world that seems to be in chaos. But yet we rest in knowing that you are in sovereign control of all things. Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, we pray for this Memorial Day weekend. And we thank you for all of those who lost their lives in service to this country. We pray for their families. We pray for those who lost loved ones. Lord, may they be taught and may they hear the gospel message of the joy that we have and that we celebrate in Jesus Christ. Lord, we also pray for our countries after another school shooting. Lord, we pray for the hatred that there is in this world for fellow brothers and sisters who are created in the image of you. Lord, we pray for Fayette County for the upcoming elections. Lord, may we use the conscience that you give us as Bible-believing Christians who proclaim your gospel, who proclaim your kingdom. Lord, make us agents that work for the good of Fayette County. Lord, we pray for all the summer events that happen in this county, for all the churches that have VBSs and that send students to different church camps. Lord, may you protect them. May the gospel be preached. May children be safe. Lord, we pray for Christ Presbyterian Church. For everyone that is here and everyone that is not here. For those who have spent time recently with loved ones and for those who have lost loved ones. We pray for our members as they travel. Protect them. We pray for everyone that has jobs. Bless the work of their hands. We pray for the students that go to and from during the summer. Lord, may you make Yourself known to them. Lord, we rejoice in the test results for Janet Sartell. Lord, continue to heal her, destroy this disease. Lord, we pray for those who are ill and sick and depressed and sorrowful. May we be to them the presence of Christ. Amen. Mukbang. Mukbang is a South Korean YouTube sensation where people watch other people eat. They have thousands of followers of people that watch them eat. It has come into the United States and has became a very popular thing, watching people eat. Originally, in Korea, people said that they did it so they could feel fellowship. They could watch people eat as they ate, and they wouldn't eat alone. But it has turned a different corner, and people now say they watch people eat so they can vicariously eat through other people. But one um, study asked the question, what would happen if we took the people who watch people eat and put them at the same table? There was a famous Korean mukbang eater that had thousands of people watch her every single meal. And so they invited three people to sit at a table with her and watch her eat. What do you think happened? The three people they asked to sit with her all looked at their phones and watched someone else eat while they ate. They missed the person that was right in front of them. Now, whatever your conception of mukbang is, and it's probably not very great at this point, we find ourselves in this text the same problem. As the crowds are growing around Jesus, they found themselves wanting more than was, was right in front of them. And we do the same thing. Because each day we are faced with things coming into our lives that tell us they are greater Than Jesus, but Jesus is right before us, and Jesus is greater. But our sin has so blinded us that we do not see Jesus. He is in our midst, yet still we do not see him. He is right in front of us, but yet we seek for something greater. We seek for something else. We must see Jesus for he is greater and we want to look at three different points this text makes of how we knows that Jesus is how we know Jesus is greater because Jesus gives us signs that point us to see Jesus He gives us stories that prepare us to see Jesus and he gives us judgment that demands that we see Jesus. He gives us signs to point us. Have you ever had a billboard that actually meant something to you? The Kenyon family has a billboard that means something to us. And it reads this way, Welcome to Arkansas, the natural state. For every time we see Welcome to Arkansas, we know we are headed to our hometown. When we lived in St. Louis and drove from Missouri, the Welcome to Arkansas sign came when we were about 20 minutes from home, so we knew we were almost home. Now that we live in Tennessee, we see that sign, and we still have five hours in front of us. But that sign means something to us because it is pointing us and reminding us that we are headed home. But even though that billboard, that sign means something to us, it really isn't the sign that we like, but it's the direction the sign is pointing us to go. This is what we see Jesus talking about here. He says sign four times in the first two verses of this text. Why does he do this? Well, you see, back in uh, Luke 11:16, 16, Luke writes that others kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But what's the purpose of a sign? A sign points us to something else. It doesn't point at itself. But we need to remember that we don't really want the sign. We want what it points to. And Jesus says here, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah gave to that generation was a billboard, something telling them, pointing them of something that they would soon witness, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The sign of Jonah pointed its readers of the gospel to what Jesus was doing among them, what he was going to do, what he said he was going to do, and if they did not respond with belief, they would not receive another sign. God has given us a sign. The sign God has given us is the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it points us to know that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, that Jesus accomplished exactly what he said he would accomplish, and that Jesus, in living and dying, we were pardoned for our sin from God. It forces us to see Jesus, who he was, as he said he was. And Jesus has given us a sign, a billboard, to remind us of that sign. It reminds us of something greater. And Jesus has given us a sign that we can touch and taste and smell and see. And it points us to the same promise of God's redemptive power. He's given us the sacraments. And these signs, these symbols, point us to the grace of God. They are visible signs given to the church so that we see Jesus right in front of us. The Lord's Supper points us to see Christ and Him crucified. The water of baptism points us to see Jesus and Him resurrected. And these aren't additional signs, but they simply point us to Jesus. Baptism authenticates that we are engrafted into Christ. It assures us of our regeneration, of our forgiveness of sins, and points us to walk in newness of life. It points us to Jesus. Unlike our Baptist or recovering Baptist or closet Baptist friends that we have, we believe that a sign of baptism is a sign of, That is from God to us. It is not a sign of what we have done, but what Christ has done. And we will receive no other sign. To quote Chad Van Dixhorn, he says, Baptism is primarily about the person, promises, and actions of God and not about us. Not even about the righteousness which we have in Christ as Christians the enduring importance of baptism rests in what it always says about God and His gospel. Not what it sometimes says about the person who is baptized. And so here at Christ Presbyterian Church, we baptize our children because baptism points our children to Jesus. It shows them that if they take hold of the covenant promises by faith, the covenant promises are bound in Christ and not their own good works. If it is left to them, they will fail. Just as the preaching that Jesus did, just as the miracles that Jesus performed, if you didn't believe in his preaching, if you didn't understand his miracles, if you did not meet those with faith, they would mean nothing to you and you would demand another sign. And this is what this crowd was doing. I went back and looked through Luke when he began his public ministry in chapter 4. And in every single chapter, he performed a miraculous sign, but yet they were still asking for more. And what this passage teaches us is that the people who demanded another sign would not have been convinced by it or any number of signs. Their seeking of a sign was not an indication of their willingness to believe, if only adequate evidence had been provided. But it was a rationalization of their unwillingness to believe, the perfectly adequate evidence that Christ had already given them. These signs, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, points us to the covenant promises of God to remind us of the gospel. They attest to what Jesus said and did, what he has accomplished in redeeming his people. So, this question asks of us do we seek another sign than what Christ has already given us? Have our eyes been opened to see? what Jesus has already done. He has given us a sign. Our sin has either covered our eyes or the Spirit has enlightened us. The sign of Jonah points us to Jesus. But also we see here that the stories prepare us to see Jesus. In the book of Judges, we read of a downward spiral Of the people of Israel. They had entered the promised land under Joshua, who followed Moses, yet they did not remember what God had done for them or what God told them to do as they entered the land, and they continued to do right what they saw in their eyes. And the key verse in Judges is in chapter 2, verse 19. But whenever a judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So God would bring up a judge, a leader of his people. But once that judge would fail, the people would not just go back to where they were, they would actually get worse. And so God would bring another judge, and then the people would get worse. But what these judges were doing is that they were preparing God's people for the kingdom of Israel, for the dynasty of the Davidic kingdom. In the same way, Luke is showing us that Solomon and Jonah prepared God's people for Christ. And we read this in verses 31 and 32. But what we need to understand is that Solomon was a king of Israel. Jonah was a prophet from Israel. But both of these men played significant roles in the history. Both of them did something very specific in their stories. Solomon, in 1 Kings 10, showed showed wisdom to a woman Gentile. If you remember Jonah's story, he was a prophet to Gentiles. Luke is preparing his readers for Jesus. He is primarily writing to a Gentile reader. Yet Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Solomon was renowned as one of the wisest people that ever lived. Yet in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it's printed on your scripture sheet, Paul says, And because of him you are in Christ, who became to us, Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is not just wise like Solomon. Jesus is the wisdom from God. He's wisdom incarnate. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jonah was seen as a good prophet, converting a Gentile city from Nineveh with four words. Yet Jesus preaches a gospel greater than Jonah because Jesus preaches to all the nations. This point might seem far-fetched, but I think it's really important for us to understand this in this text. For God is accomplishing his mission of fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 12 by blessing the Gentiles. For this crowd, hearing stories that the Queen of the South and that Ninevites heard the story of God's redemption and converted would have been bad news for them. Because that would have meant that God's blessing was upon them and not upon them and not upon the crowd. And Jesus has come as our great King, preaching, preaching, the gospel to all the Gentiles. These stories in the Old Testament prepared us and prepared this crowd for Jesus. And Luke's gospel is almost like a wave in the seashore, hitting the same spot over and over and over, and asking the people the same question. Who is Jesus? Do we believe Jesus is a greater than Solomon? Do we believe that he is greater than Jonah? Jesus is calling us to follow where the signs point us and to prepare us where the story takes us. But with these stories of the king and the prophet, there's a flip side of that coin there's a warning of judgment that demands us to see Jesus as Solomon was the king of Jonah was the king and Jonah was a prophet so too the stories of the queen of the south and the men of Nineveh responding the way that Israel should have responded to Jesus prepares its listeners it demands that they respond to Jesus Because we see in verse 10 of chapter 10 of 1 Kings, I did that backwards, 1 Kings 10, 10, how the queen responded. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these from the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. She responded to the king's great wisdom. In Jonah 3, Jonah preached a message of repentance, and the Ninevites responded. Jonah 3, 5, and the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called for a fast and put on soap cloth for the the greatest of them from the least of them. The men of Nineveh, Nineveh responded to Jonah's message. Yet this crowd would not believe Jesus. He had performed many signs. He had preached many times yet they would not respond. Jesus informs them that at the resurrection of the dead, when Jesus returns in glory, these Gentiles would stand and judge the teachers to the Jews. How offensive that would have been to them. That Gentiles would stand Justified in Christ and condemn them for not believing in Jesus. So I ask you, how does this text affect you? It's not meant to scare you into buying fire insurance, as if just to cover all your bases. It is here to reveal the truth that the story of Jesus is real. Jesus really was who he said he was. And he will return in glory. Both believers and non-believers will be raised from the dead. The just by the Spirit unto honor. And the unjust by the power of Christ will be raised to dishonor. Have you seen Jesus? Have you responded to? To Jesus. We cannot be in a neutral place when we meet Jesus. We either respond by faith or we remain in our sins. There is no middle ground. And then we come to our next part of the text, verses 33 to 36. And in first reading this, it seems like a riddle or a poem. And it's a metaphor for a lamp and our eyes, we are the eye and the lamp in the problem that we see in 29-32. What it reveals is that this crowd does not see Jesus because their eyes are unhealthy. Their eyes are unhealthy because their sin has blinded them. And we cannot see Jesus unless He opens our eyes. Then and only then are we able to understand that He really is the Son of God. Then and only then are we able to believe that Jesus died for our sins upon the cross and rose from the grave to give us eternal life. Once Jesus brings us from spiritual death by opening up our eyes, our faith becomes sight. But the problem with this crowd wasn't even that they didn't see Jesus. Because he was standing right in front of them, but they didn't believe. But what they did is they shifted the blame from themselves. And they actually told Jesus he was the problem, not themselves. When in fact, they were the problem their blindness was so blind they couldn't see who Jesus was greater than if there's darkness in our life it is not due to be because Jesus is not bright enough but it's due to our the eyes of our hearts being unhealthy believe in the gospel For Jesus gave sight to the blind. The Spirit has removed our hearts of stone and given us a heart of flesh. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ from the foundations of the earth that we should be holy and blameless in Him. God did not leave us in our state of blindness. He healed the blind. Just as Solomon spoke wisdom, To the queen, and she responded. And just as the Ninevites responded to Jonah's sermon on repentance, so too we are called to respond. And we see that this is the text. And I'm sorry I didn't put it in the scripture sheets. But the text just before 11:29 is 11:28, and it reads this way. Jesus said, "Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God." And keep it. It's not just a matter of if we hear the Word. It's if we respond to the Word. And what's great about this passage is that rooted in it is the Gospel. Is That Jesus died for us because we were blind. Jesus died for us because we were lost. Jesus doesn't just leave us merely at a response for a rational understanding of the gospel. He calls for us to respond. He calls us to repent and come to him by faith because he is the greater king. He is the greater prophet. He promises us life and glory. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. All of you. Amen. Let me, let's pray.